0: On Being is supported in part by Penguin Press, publishers of the New York Times bestselling book by Krista Tippett, Becoming Wise, an inquiry into the mystery and art of living. The Washington Post says, Becoming Wise challenges all forms of dogma, in science, politics, and philosophy, as well as religion, and it affirms the holiness of the body
1: and the glory of the inquiring mind. Available now wherever books are sold. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. You're listening to my unedited conversation with David Isay. Download the MP3 of our produced show at onbeing.org. Um, she'll help. I you want make... to warn
0: you that I'm I'm fighting off the flu. Okay. So, um, all right.
1: Well, I just want to say how happy I am that you're doing this, and I understand that you're having to step outside your comfort zone. <laughs> So I just want you to think of this as like we're like we're in a StoryCorps booth, and it's just a <laughs> yeah. little bit longer than forty minutes. Right. And it's my I'm, sake. Very ha-
0: <laughs> I'm very happy to do okay. this. I, I'm you know, I, I mean, I, I feel so. I, I mean, I really feel so grateful to the show well. because, in so many ways, your show gave me the language to articulate StoryCorps. Oh, so, I, I mean, I, I feel like um, uh, if you took everything I've ever listened to. And put it in one pile, and and your show, I've gotten a, a thousand times more kind of wisdom and insight from your show than everything else combined. Well, so I'm very, very, very grateful.
1: Well, thank you. And so I feel like we, I feel like we have kindred, you know, listening spaces, sacred, lis- sacred spaces that we sometimes sure talk about what happens. So, so this is exciting, and I really do. Also, I mean, I've been looking forward to this as. Um, You know, I do a conversation and not just an interview. And so, you know, just to have this chance to talk to you about listening. Sure. And so let's just plunge in. But I think you probably know this that I always open with asking um, about the religious or spiritual background. Was was there a religious or spiritual background to your childhood? And I actually don't, I've been reading as much as I could about you and interviews you've given, but I I haven't actually seen any reference to that, I don't think.
0: Yeah. I, I, um, I went to Hebrew school when I was a, a kid and uh, it wasn't it wasn't the you know, I, I didn't connect at all. And uh, I don't I don't I, I mean, I think I'm culturally Jewish yeah. um, and maybe I went to a friend school for high school, you know, and maybe a little more spiritually Quaker. And, uh, you know, and most of my time is just kind of focused on story core.
1: That's interesting that you um that you went to a friend school because, I mean, that is a spiritual tradition of listening, really. Um, I mean that makes sense, and then
0: yeah, and, and I yeah. think when I was you know when I was there I didn't appreciate right. silent meeting as all you know I think most teenagers roll their eyes, but you yeah. know as I got older, I ended up um, when I got married going back with my wife and finding it you know very useful, and it, it's just kind of my it's my speed and my style.
1: Yeah, and then I mean you definitely belong to a lineage of listeners. Of different kinds, right? Your father was a psychiatrist. Your grandmother yes. was an advice columnist. Your mother, yes, she was
0: very much. You did in do this. your homework. <laughs> I
1: did. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it seems like, and again, you whether you were um, whether you were very aware of that or not, you were kind of soaking that up. I think as a child.
0: Yeah, you know, I, and I also think you know I was not a particularly happy kid, and I always felt a little bit uncomfortable around kids my age. Hmm. And like to spend time with um, older people and kind of listen to them, and that was just my thing—a little bit weird, but there you go.
1: All right, so there's that story you've told that when you were 12, after a Thanksgiving meal, you interviewed your grandmother and her sisters.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I did. I um, we had a tape recorder around the house because my dad was a, a psychiatrist, and I guess he taped some sessions. I don't know. There was for some reason he had a tape recorder. This was ancient history, yeah. um, and uh, it was Thanksgiving, and my grandparents were there. And the, we, um, I asked them to do interviews. I had a grandmother, as you said, who was an advice columnist at the New York Post for 50 years. And she had these <laughs> sisters. They were all huge characters. I had um, an Aunt Bertie who was a complete nut. She insisted that she had invented fruit salad. And <laughs> uh, was, she was just she, – she would always – she was – I can't even go into some of the other stuff. It's not appropriate for radio. But, she, you know, they were these wild characters, one more so than the next. <laughs> And I brought them into um, to do a, a interview with them this Thanksgiving, and I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was probably kind of giggling during the interview and whatever, but I had their voices on tape. And then, you know, in successive years, when I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, that whole generation began to die off. And when I was in my twenties, I went looking for that tape, and couldn't find it. And uh, I still look for that tape. My father's passed away, but his husband um, tells me to please stop bothering him about it. And my um, my mom also is not happy with me asking about the tape. And that's partly, you know, with StoryCorps, every interview that um, we do goes to the Library of Congress, which means it's as safe as it can possibly be. So your great, 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 great grandkids will get to, you know, listen to this interview. Um, so that's partly in response to kind of the dumb move of me losing this tape because it's the only record of these folks' voices.
1: Yeah, and I think – I mean, I have those – I, there are those cassettes in my life, too, right, yeah. that have gone missing that you remember.
0: Yeah. Yep. I, and that, but bet, this, is, this, yeah. this is an important one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my grandparents, like, loomed very large, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and I really – you know, and to me I, – I mean, I think you probably feel the same way. To me, the soul is kind of contained in the voice. So
1: hmm. there's just
0: something very powerful about having that, you know, record of someone.
1: Yeah. But, you know, that that idea that the soul is contained in the voice, I mean – Do you have any kind of recollection of when you started to think about it that way?
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, I was telling you before we went on the air that I I tend to just kind of write down stuff that other people say. I'm a very linear thinker. Um, And and I guess I'm a good collector of other people's deep thoughts. And Mm -hmm. I've collected many of them from... From your show, as I said before we went on the air, but I remember there was an article about um, uh, Borges in the in the New Yorker maybe twenty twenty five years ago, and the last in the last line he said the soul is, you know, that the soul uh, is is contained in the human voice, and I was like, that's it, <laughs> hmm. and I've been saying it ever since.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have to say I agree with you, and it's kind of. It's a mysterious thing it 's actually hard to break down any more than that is, and it? it's just an experience you have
0: it is mm-hmm. you know i was um i um, i lost my I was talking about my dad a little while ago and I lost him very suddenly um about a year and a half ago and I had done a StoryCorps interview with him but hadn't really given it much thought and He was sick with—he got diagnosed with cancer. He was perfectly healthy, working full-time as a psychiatrist and got sick, and he was dead nine or ten days later. And that night, you know, I listened to my StoryCorps interview with him for the first time, and I remember doing it and not thinking that there was anything particularly special about it. But then you listen to it, and this is—I mean, it's him, you know, and it's Mm, the only way that my—I have two young kids. Um, It's the only way that they're going to get to know my dad. There was actually—it was interesting because I always—I feel— this is like kind of the vagaries of, of 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 memory, and it's kind of a side point. But when um, my dad was uh, – he was a, a gay rights activist and really a, a magnificent um, man and very, very important to me. And uh, I remember that I asked him when we were in the StoryCorps interview, what are you proudest of in life? And uh, my memory of that was that he said, the books I've written. And I always teased him. I said, Dad, we've done whatever, 10,000, 20,000, time went on, 50,000 interviews. And everybody says they're kids. And you, the one person, <laughs> you said, my books. Right, right. And then, you know, the night, and I, I mean, I just endlessly went after him. And the night he died, I listened to the interview. And I said, what are you proudest of? And he said, my kids. Really? Yep.
1: Was that exchange even in there? Like what you're? What you remember? Yes, and you just then he said, "I'm also
0: proud of my books." Interesting, <laughs> but that's how memory works. You yeah. know, you kind of hold on to these images of people, and I guess there's something about—I um, don't know—there's something about the the way these interviews, the 40-minute StoryCorps interviews, are structured. Yeah, that it's almost uh, we. I, I guess in some ways we think of it as if you had 40 minutes left to to live, what would you want to say to someone else? What what would you want to learn about them? And in some ways, I think it's maybe the the best way to sum up who someone is in, in 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 forty minutes, although that's a very difficult thing to do, but we have everything going for us because it, it it's the voice and it's intimate
1: yeah
0: and it's honest you know and and you know I think of it as kind of the opposite of of reality t v you know no one comes to get rich, no one comes to get famous it's just about it's about generosity and and uh, and love
1: yeah so we'll we'll keep talking about all of that i i mean i do <clears throat> I do want to note that you. You first became um, you 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 first got into <clears throat> into creating documentaries um, when you were what right right in your early twenties is that right I mean right at the yeah. beginning of your
0: right, radio documentaries right, yeah. right out of college
1: which is which uh, on the surface sounds different but then when I really really look at all the things you did you know in some ways I, I think most if not all of your documentaries. Well your first one, you know, I was gonna say they most or not all of them start with you handing the mic handing the cassette recorder to other people right. who then write and so the documentary it it takes this form. But and your first one, you know, started with one story, one couple, and a tape recorder, nineteen eighty seven.
0: Right. right. You want me to tell that? Yeah, tell that story. <laughs> sure. I mean I was lucky to find my calling when I was a kid. Um and um <clears throat> I um I was actually heading to medical school to be part of this long line of uh, psychiatrists in my family, and uh, but I had a kind of a hunch that that's not what I was meant to do, and it's funny because I was cleaning um, out my uh, some of my stuff from my office, and I found my you know I'm, we all have these the the pros and cons, pained pros and cons notes about what it is I should do, and uh, one day I was I actually took a year off to tutor uh, and and started a, a job uh, tutoring kids at my school and science stuff, which I was pretty good at. And then one day I um, was walking around the East Village where I lived, and I ran into this. um, I saw this window that caught my eye. Um, It was a little storefront, and the window was just, there was something really just gorgeous about the way the window was set up. And I went inside, and it was a 12-step recovery store um, with books and different stuff, and there was art in the window from this couple who ran it. And I started talking to them, and uh, they were remarkable. And, you know, when you said that you you weren't sure about the tie between the documentary stuff and StoryCorps. And, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for many years, but I, I think in some ways I've been telling the same story since that first story up until, you know, this morning, right. <laughs> whatever runs on StoryCore. Right. So this couple was um, – this was 1987, I think, maybe eighty, early 88 – and they started talking to, talking to me and they said that they they were both former transit workers um and they both had AIDS. He had been an IV drug user. And um And
1: this is when had, AIDS was a death sentence.
0: That's right. Yeah. And um you know obviously they were clean. They were running a twelve step store. Um and they took me to the back of the store and said, We want to show you something. And they had this they'd created this um kind of tongue-depressor model of this museum to addiction. Um, And they started unrolling these um, blueprints of what was going to be on every floor of this museum of addiction. Again, just like the windows, just beautifully done in such Mm -hmm. incredible detail. And they told me that they were convinced that they were going to open this museum before they died um, and that they were intent on doing that and then pulled out a book. Um, that they had a binder book with um, – they had written to Donald Trump and everybody else asking for money. And right. clearly the, they were form rejection letters. But in those form rejection letters, they saw hope. And I was just – you know, it was just this courage of convictions, like just these incredible, beautiful people. And I went home and this was the day when they had something called Yellow Pages. And I started <laughs> right. going through the Yellow Pages and calling all the TV stations. I'd never heard of public radio. Huh. And they all said no, and then I started calling all the radio stations, and I got to the local um, community station here, WBAI, and the news director, uh, whose name is Amy Goodman, who's now well-known for uh, running a show called Democracy Now!, right? She said, that sounds like um, a great story, but, you know, we don't have anyone to do it. Why don't don't you do it? So Mm -hmm. I borrowed a tape recorder, and I went to them, and I, I really did have this moment. Where you know when I sat down with the tape recorder and pushed, you know, back then it was play and record at the same time to record something. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh And started talking to them. I said this at that moment. I knew that's what I was going to be do- doing for the rest of my life. I was so so. You lucky were going to be pushing play and
1: record in whatever for, form forever. that continued yep, to take. Yep,
0: yeah. yep, 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 yeah. until they. Even even in in the box when they when they put me away like play and record was my <laughs> destiny and my fate right and then um, I went back to WBAI and and um, edited it and put it on the air and it just so happened that someone from NPR was driving through New York and was tuned into WBAI and heard this and called me and said we want this on NPR so within twenty four hours like this whole kind of series of things happened and I was done for
1: mm-hmm. and then you're. Your documentary – you did a documentary called Stonewall Remembered. Right,
0: Remembering Stonewall. Remembering
1: Stonewall, which which was not autobiographical strictly but really was kind of tracing part of your story in a way, right? No, for sure. Part of your story and your father's story, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean I did – this was the first thing that I – the first documentary I actually ever did Um, and this was just months after the story I just told about the – the couple. Oh, I didn't um,
1: realize that was the first one. Oh uh-huh. yeah,
0: no. And this was, and it was just about the same time that I had met the couple that um, I had uh, discovered that my dad was gay, and and you uh, were
1: so you're in your early twenties and you hadn't known before.
0: Twenty one or twenty two. No. Yeah. No. I mean, he was. And I your knew parents that were married, was,
1: right? You were. They
0: were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew that he was, um, you know, an activist um, and and talked about you know gay rights, and I had just assumed that this was part of. You know his being you know he he was always someone who fought for kind of the underdogs and and was very intent on making sure that everybody was treated with with dignity um so I thought that was just kind of part of that uh and it really didn't occur to me that he was gay hmm. um and uh but I did find out uh by accident that year just probably around the same month that month that I did that recording, and i was um you know it was hard for me because it was a really um kind of shook everything. Um, Yeah, it shakes the
1: foundations of what you, of your family identity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, am I, am I your kid? You know, like I, even though I looked exactly like him, but you know, these, these questions (laughs) all, all, all come to you. And I was, you know, I was upset and felt, you know, obviously deeply betrayed. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and then, you know, it was like, do we tell my brother? When do we tell my brother? And, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of, um, I'm not big on secrets and holding secrets and all that stuff, as you can probably guess. Yeah, yeah. The work Uh, so I um, but my dad mentioned to me at some point when we were talking about the Stonewall riots which I really didn't know anything about and I didn't know I didn't really have gay friends that I knew of you know later I would find out that I had gay friends but this was you know 1988
1: well yeah and your uh, dad was in he was a closeted gay man which which in most parts of the culture was the only conceivable thing to be right
0: Yep. And that was I also love my dad so much. I mean the idea thinking about the pain that he, you know, had gone through and went through was very difficult for me to mm-hmm. um to digest also. I mean I was I was very very connected to him. Yeah. Um so I um I he mentioned Stonewall and I kind of looked into it and Stonewall now it's famous and Obama mentioned it in his last state of the union but I'd never heard of it, and it was the riot that happened in late June of 1969, where um, at this bar, the Stonewall Inn, um, there was a riot. And uh, it was the first time that, uh, you know, gays and lesbians were, you know, mentioned in the paper and was just this – it was one of those – you know, it was the Rosa Parks moment. It was just one of these seminal uh moments where everything comes together and focuses at this, you know, at this one place and this one time. And I took my tape recorder and used you know this is again when I talk about kind of singing the same song from all those many years ago until now you know I used the microphone to ask questions and meet people that I didn't get to know okay. I, that I hadn't known before and uh and found this was the first um oral history about um Stonewall and I worked with a guy who was uh also working on on um on a written uh Uh, oral history and he produced it with me and I got to meet these just amazing people and spend time in gay bars. And and um, there were a lot of the folks who were involved in the riot itself, which is just this incredible story, were street kids and and um, transgendered people. So there was oh, someone gosh. who became very close to me named Sylvia Rivera, who was this just warrior um, and uh, probably the bravest person I've ever met.
1: Talk about who, people who were invisible uh, <laughs> in society, too.
0: Yeah, that, absolutely. Those decades ago. Absolutely. You know, I was listening to... The, I was listening to... Um, even now, you know, I was listening to someone. We're about to launch uh, an LGBT story core. and I was listening uh. to uh, some uh, transgendered person saying that she just wanted. She's never met someone who was an old lady who was transgendered. Like she just wanted to be an old lady, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well. So it hasn't it hasn't changed that much, you mm-hmm. know. And Sylvia knew that, and she was uh, very outspoken and very brave, and. You know, she whether 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 it's apocryphal or not, you know, she had um, she said that she had thrown the first, um, you know, Molotov cocktail at the cops. And of course, I, mm-hmm. I found the cops who were in the stonewall who were also amazing people because, you know, it was just it's just truth, you know, yeah. and it was this moment. Yeah. And I uh, did this documentary and dedicated it to my dad. And, you know, that was through that documentary, you know, I was able to find, you know, healing you know and mm-hmm. and and open a conversation back up with my dad which continued up until he died
1: so so you you did your documentaries for what maybe 10 years and then you started more story than Core. more than that yeah, 15 years 15 think, years yeah. wow I, so, you started so young um and then <laughs> and i think I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> you're still young um <laughs> and then you started story Core, i believe in 2003 is that right Mm-hmm. And so tell me, how would you start to say what you had learned about listening that made you want to create StoryCorps?
0: Well, I thought of um, and still think of StoryCorps as kind of the um, – it's kind of the, the opposite of the documentary work that that I used to do and – is and that most people do and that, you know, documentary, the documentary work I did was about interviewing people. Um, and this is true for film and every other kind of documentary work that happens. And then editing it into something that you put out into the world, which hopefully educates or informs or whatever it does for folks. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of it. And doing, I did a lot of stories that were in places, you know, I it, it was about kind of shining a light on places where people's voices wouldn't, weren't heard. Yeah. And I'd come to believe that the, for these folks, the act of being listened to was you know, far more important than being in the documentary itself um, hmm. and could be transformative in people's lives because no one had actually ever listened to them. Hmm. And uh, so the idea of StoryCorps was to take documentary and turn it on its head and say what this is about and it is what it's about and continues to be about – is giving the people the chance to have these conversations and be listened to. And in that act of sitting with a loved one um, and and being asked, who are you and what have you learned in life and how do you w- want to be remembered, being reminded how much their lives matter. You know, it's a very simple idea. Um, but one thing I knew ha- had to happen both... F- for the archival piece, of because of what I was talking about with the tape that I had lost.
1: <laughs> you were, and for tapes the would never be lost. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Um, that, that, you know, the fact that this goes to the Library of Congress, you know, tells people that their story is important enough to be part of American history. Right, um, right. And, you know, I hear all the time every day from people saying that the 40 minutes they spent in one of our booths is, you know, among the most important 40 minutes of their lives, which is, you know, something I, I hadn't expected, but I guess I'm not— right. I'm not terribly surprised.
1: Um, so, so you know, I, I hear you that one of the things about a documentary is that although the raw material is is the listening and the voices, that it's then something that's very edited and crafted. Um, that's right. And the story core conversation is is you know not in, in the forty minutes or not, um, but. You do put a lot of care into the container for that conversation, right? The form that's around it so that it can become that, you know, that 40 important minutes of a life. So, I mean, let's just talk a little bit about... You
0: know, and I think it's not not that different than the conversation in some ways that you have every week. Yeah. It's just that, um, I mean, you know, I think what, what, you know, what great radio does is try and, you know, get it. It's about wisdom and who someone really is, and you know, it's you, that's you and Terry Gross. It's like you, you, um, I don't know. It's like you get lost in in listening to these things, and and yeah. what I want to do is just give many, 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 many people the chance to be heard in that way. To
1: be in that space and experience yep. that, yeah. So, but let's just talk about what, because I okay. So, so I. I don't just sense. Have you done this. a story
0: interview, Krista?
1: I have not. I have.
0: Okay, well we gotta, we gotta <laughs> okay, get it. Okay, we'll you do it. We will. Okay.
1: Um, I, I can't say no now, can I? Yep. Um, so I, I don't just I was gonna say I sense, but I don't just sense that I know it. Like as I'm out in the world talking, people are so hungry for the knowledge of how to create these spaces, right? To create spaces right. for listening um, and for even hearing their own voices. So I just want to talk for a minute about like what you know, you know, what the, the like really say the technology that goes into. So, you know, and, and so I'm just want to break it apart a little bit. Um, sure. You know, you've said, you know, when you're in the StoryCorps booth, you're in this sacred space. That's a big that's a big way to start. But I mean, tell me what makes it sacred.
0: Well, it's interesting because I had a couple of theories when I started StoryCorps based on the, you know, like hundreds, maybe thousand interviews that I'd done. And one was that you needed the sacred space to do the interview in. So, you know, we created this booth that where the lights are low. And, you know, we opened up in Grand Central Terminal. And you well know what happens when you walk into a recording studio. There's this kind of sucking sound when the door shuts and yeah. you're in complete silence. Yeah. And um, and so so we built our booths that way to be these very, you know, kind of peaceful, comfortable um, places. Very simple. I mean, the whole StoryCorps idea couldn't be simpler. Um. And uh, so, so, but, but it turned out. Uh, and then the other theory was that we needed that to have this experience you needed a facilitator present and these facilitators we've had hundreds of them now Mm -hmm. are these people who work for StoryCore and they call it bearing witness to these interviews and they're you know Mm -hmm. this is a public service project they're there to serve the participants Mm -hmm. and uh, they do everything from there are always two facilitators at a booth Um, one is outside dealing with the next um, pair who's coming in and the other is inside so they bring you in they run the equipment um, they they'll ask questions and kind of get involved in the conversation if you want them to otherwise they won't they keep a log of every interview which goes into this archive um afterwards they work with you on paper on on paperwork and you know many of these interviews are very um emotional so they help kind of um you know transition people back out of the sacred um Space of that interview mm-hmm. and then um, and and you know essentially what their their job is traveling the country, kind of collecting the wisdom of of humanity it 's a pretty amazing Job and, and one, one thing was I thought we had to have facilitators, the other thing was this sacred space, yeah and a couple of years into the project, we realized that we could that the facilitators could set up equipment in any quiet room anywhere, and people would essentially have the same experience. so the actual physical space turned out not to be as important as I thought, but the presence of a facilitator um, who are hired because they're, because they're great listeners um, was, um, was and remains very, very important to the experience
1: yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. Role of the facilitator, and the reason I think it's important to describe it is that, um, you know, when a lot of people imagine a facilitated conversation, right. they imagine that person really leading the conversation, structuring it. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I never Intervening. Thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's so. I mean, to me, it says it all when you say that they are bearing witness. And yeah. so there's well, some there's a that's human dynamic. It then there's it, it adds a. In a way, David, it, it adds a communal even though these these conversations are so intimate like unbelievably yep. intimate between people who've maybe known each other all their lives, it adds the rest of the commun it, it adds a communal dimension right it, you're absolutely
0: right you know and and something that we've i've you know, observed is that, you know, especially, I, I'm not, I'm spending a lot of time on the road and not as on the ground as I was at the beginning when I was really trying to watch everything that happened in the booth. I've never facilitated an interview, hmm. but just hearing from the facilitators everything that happened in the booth. And, you know, I, 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 the way that I see it, um, and, and I think the truth of this facilitator is exactly what you said. Many times you'll have two, a parent, a, 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 someone in their parent in the booth and there might be some kind of a, uh, you know, stress in their relationship, and when they're asking a story, and the parent will say, "Uh, oh, I've told that story before," but then they turn to the facilitator, mm. and the facilitator kind of becomes the ears of the the world, and um, that person in the mm. booth realizes it, realizes that, and yeah. just begins to to open up and speak. So there's there's something something about those three people in the booth that's just perfect, you know, yeah. and so we're not gonna we're not gonna mess with it.
1: Um, and forty minutes. Is there a magic you know, about forty minutes?
0: Nope. I mean, I I don't know. There, are different people have different theories about interviewing. You know, um, Errol Morris, who's brilliant, and his um, the um, uh, the the documentary he did about uh, Randall Adams all those many years ago was a huge influence on me. Um, but he does, you know, these twenty four hour kind of break them down kind of interviews, and I, that was never. And they work beautifully. That I always found that the that the best um, material happened. When people were able to focus and, you know, when I did these interviews, when I was making documentaries, I mean, I think, you know, this feeling. It's just this very, very intense listening. It's almost like there's like a laser beam between my eyes and and the person who I'm interviewing's eyes, and I almost you know want to put my hands on their shoulders as we're yeah. talking. It's kind of a lock-in kind of experience, yeah. and 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 the energy is so intense that after that it it runs out pretty quick. So I always found that the that the best stuff in interviews happened early and then you had diminishing returns after some point. Hmm. So um we picked 40 um because we r- we run on the hour and it's 10 minutes to, to um, get ready for the interview and 10 no, minutes <laughs> to cool down. So yeah, but it's and important And again that to have kind that of works. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so it's a bit yeah. of structure and and again it 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 works and and mm-hmm. you know, I think when people know they have an end point then um
1: it's crazy that, to discipline. that makes
0: it easier for them to jump in. Right. And yeah. the facilitators always say to the people when they come into the booth you know, people before they come um, prepare um, because, you know, we're try- I'm trying to kind of uh, mimic the best practices that I learned in in doing documentaries. And preparation, preparation is incredibly important. Um, and uh, the facilitators will always say, start by asking that question that you've always wanted to ask because the time goes by so quickly. So they become these, you know, very intense conversations from right. beginning to end and you people know, are pretty spent by the end.
1: That's interesting because – I I do something that when I first started, you know, in public radio, they told me you can't do this, right? I do sixty to ninety minutes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I often find, but I think what happens is that a real conversation fills the space it's given, right? And yep. and I often find that, um, and we often find actually that that the thing builds and builds, and um, you know that you you kind of have to make a commitment sometimes in our show for the first. 10 or 20 minutes, because then the conversation really gets going. And you can imagine this. We've had editors come in who say, just start there, right? Like start in the middle where the thing is where you've got this peak moment. But, you know, I say that's not how a conversation works. You get to that moment and you can't – it's not fair to the listener or the the conversation – to not let it build but it's a, it's a different it's a different dynamic well and and
0: I think I mean I think that when you're in the 60 to 90 minute range you're in the same range of of 40 I mean those are not long interviews when you're talking to someone about their entire the life the whole
1: sweep of their life right right
0: Right. And and you know I think the difference with the StoryCorps interviews is that you know you don't know the people that you're interviewing. Yeah. And and exactly. in many cases that's these it. are two people who yeah. know you know who know this other person better than anyone else in the world. So they can start at that spot. Yeah.
1: So I have um, because, to create that intimate connection with you. That's it's different because right. we. So know. So you have
0: twenty we, minutes to, yeah, to know someone. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you jump into the to the tough stuff. Yeah. The real stuff. Yeah. And
1: then you have no also no video in the booth nope. right. Never so tell will. me in your words why that's important.
0: You know, it's um it goes back to a bunch of things we've been talking about. I mean, the voice to me the you know, the power of this thing is the voice. The lights are low, you don't have to worry about what you look like and video just wouldn't add anything. We do a photograph of everybody at the end of the interview. But again, this the 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 way it's set up is 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 just, you know, it's simple and perfect, so we don't mess with it. Yeah. I mean, I did realize that in order, you know, we have I feel like we're at the very, very, very beginning of story core, And we have, um, we have, you know, big dreams of, you know, someday becoming part of the fabric of this culture and, you know, moving the needle on creating a culture that, you know, better respects and, you know, nurtures the dignity of humanity and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but um, we – I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Lily's um- first edit. <laughs> <laughs> what was your qu- what was your question?
1: Oh well, you know we'll come back to this. I want to talk about video and audio later. Um,
0: oh oh no, that's yeah. it. That's that's yeah. it. <laughs> do you want me to finish? Yeah, it go or, on, or... go on. If you yeah. So so um, so I knew that in order I I I knew that in order to kind of begin to see through this vision that we had to figure you know we live in a visual culture we and do. we had to figure out a way to um, add visuals to StoryCorps without bringing cameras into the booth which would wreck it. Um, so. Ended up, there was a facilitator, one of these kids, um, who came into my office one day and said, you know, I'm a facilitator during the day, but at night I'm an animator. And my brother, who uh, teaches uh, swimming at the Y, is an a, a animator also. And we started animating StoryCorps stories. And before I could kick him out of my office, he threw a DVD into my computer. And this kind of magnificent uh, thing came on uh, where I saw that there was a way with visuals to not only – not subtract from the magic of what happens. These, these interviews would actually add to it. So we went down that route and have been um, animating uh, some story core stories now for the last three or four years. Yeah, that's interesting. To reach, to reach new audiences. It's interesting
1: yeah. that the that you that I mean I didn't know that, that you specifically went that route because you're not turning it into a documentary where you're also you know where the the experience of the faces of the people becomes part of the experience.
0: Part of the beauty of StoryCorps, I think, is that you know, and and we've talked a lot about the access to the StoryCorps experience—the hundred, the, the fifty thousand interviews we've done with hundred thousand people. But you know, the content has a purpose also. And and when I started StoryCorps, I, I actually didn't know if we'd have s- stories for for the radio, and I didn't care that much. I thought that if we did have stories, they'd start repeating. Um, because there were only so many conversations a grandkid could have with yeah. a grandparent, but it turns out that they they haven't they don't repeat except that you know they all are in some ways about kind of the great themes of human existence. Um, but the right. kind of You're variety like of stories birth, life, that come and out death
1: is what it yeah that's right <laughs> that's to. right
0: all all of them. <sighs> um, but but I think that what um, what what so so it's it's kind of one of the great surprises that we've gotten. You know stories out of these things and and what we try and do with these stories on NPR every Friday morning is um, that you know one thing I haven 't talked about with StoryCorps is that half of the interviews we record are held for people who um, wouldn't necessarily have heard of us through public radio or newspapers so we do um, we do partnerships with about five hundred nonprofits across the country each year, so it could be homeless services or um, uh, veterans organizations or Uh, Juvenile justice, so that those those organizations can tell their clients about StoryCorps and give them the opportunity to come in with a loved one. Um, Mm. So that's half of the interviews we do, Uh, and that goes back to that you know part the the thesis of StoryCorps, um, uh, which I kind of articulated, which is that especially people who feel least heard, that idea of being listened to can be transformative in their lives. And what I hope happens. and it's not that different with what you do in in your show every week is we pre, we create I, I think almost this poem that's true to the stories mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. the voices of one out of every maybe 400 we edit 3 minutes out of right. and what what i what i hope happens is that it just um kind of shakes people by the shoulder um once a week and just reminds them you know you know this is what's important
1: you know um one thing that one criticism sometimes of StoryCorps on NPR of the you know of the of the radio pieces is that they're kind of emotionally manipulative. I mean, they just take you into this deep dive of you know it's, just, it's a poem that makes you cry in yeah. a number of seconds. Um,
0: and yeah, I don't I I you know I I um I you know I haven't I I, I don't think of it that way. I mean I I um. I, what what and and you know i i think what what's happening i hope is that when people hear these stories they're walking in the footsteps of someone who they almost by definition they thought was very different than themselves just for a moment to recognize all those things that is what your show is all about the the fact that you know we may share more in common than um than than we might think from yeah. you know the other media and all that sort of stuff but I, you know i think that um you know these are these are sorry that was a telephone on unexcusable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had turned that off. Hold on, let me try this again. Okay. Um, so, I forgive
1: you. you were a, thank you.
0: Okay. Um, so you
1: said your the story booth is like a confessional, and I'm you're absolved right. of your sin here.
0: Thank you. I appreciate yep. that. Okay. Um, I you know I don't I I think what I, I I think there there's nothing about these you're not you're not. Watching these people from the outside, you're not feeling superior to them. I mean, what what I hope StoryCorps does is kind of draw you into these stories, and I think that um, you know most of them aren't sad. People get emotional when they hear StoryCorps stories, and and from what I can tell, it's because you know they're authentic. Um, when we're surrounded by so much stuff that's that's not, um, and you know, and they're they're generous, and you're hearing about um, you know regular people. Living lives of generosity and often courage and 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 decency, and you're kind of and and kind of showing us this path, you know. And, and right. when you hear those kind of stories, you're kind of walking on holy ground. And I think that's why people get um, emotional when they hear them. And I think that for some people, um, getting emotional makes them uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And uh, and the the criticism may come from there.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess what I also what also occurred to me when I was getting ready to talk to you um, is that you know what you can't do but in boiling even 40 minutes down I mean 40 minutes is not a long time but I imagine I mean in your story you talked about secrets right and every family right. has secrets and and secrets are painful and your mother has actually written a lot about this I mean she works with this um, um, and so what we all know is that if you if you sat down for 40 minutes and had a true Conversation about birth, life and death with the people you know best there are going to be um, they're going to be hard things in that forty minutes also Re- possibly redemptive at the same time I mean I think that's what you do you create a space in which the hardness and the redemption are there together but I just yeah. I just I think maybe that is what cannot be condensed into Two minutes or three minutes or five minutes, and so.
0: Well, you know, it's, as you're speaking, it reminds mm-hmm. me of something. You know, I've taken a lot of from the different um, people you've had on on your show, and I always I carry around me whenever I give a speech a little like thing with, that I read beforehand that kind of reminds me about what what it is and why we're doing it. And one of the um, people on your show, I, I don't, I think it might have been Rachel Naomi. Oh, Remen Na- Rachel said, Naomi Remen, yes. Yeah, listening generously. The, Yep. Yeah. She said that the that the keepers of wisdom in our culture are, are are the people who have experienced the most difficult things in their lives and yeah. the view from the edge of life is uh much clearer than than the view that most of us have. And you know, I think that we're in the, you know, we're in the kind of wisdom business and what we're trying to do every week is um you know let 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 people Learn from from someone else about you know what they've what the the lessons they've learned in life, and a lot of times it comes out of you know difficult circumstances.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's in some. I mean, that's the beauty of it too. That's that's the amazing thing. Um, you make this equation: listening is an act of love. And I I just wonder if you'd talk about that a little bit. You know, what you yeah, mean that was when the title that. of
0: our of our first book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that you know, sitting and, uh, and you know, being present with someone and um, asking them important questions is something that, you know, doesn't happen that often during the course of, of day-to-day life and is uh, one of the most profound and powerful ways we have to tell someone else how much we love them, just asking them, who they are and what they've learned in life and mm. how they want to be remembered. It's just, um, it's a, uh, it's you know. I always find I do one, um, I, I I have I do what maybe one or two StoryCorps interviews every year, and it's always you know, in the middle of like this crazy you know day, and I I'm like I really don't want to do this, and it's usually a staff member who's been with us for you know five or six seven eight nine years who's leaving. And then I'll go and sit with this person, and it's like time stops, you know. And and it's one of the most remarkable and kind of nourishing experiences that I know of. But I, I also think that, you know, in many ways, I think StoryCorps is about mortality. Um, hmm. And I, I was with um, Ira Bayak earlier this week who was – I think he was just repeated on your show. Yes, we've had him on the show. He's a
1: physician who works with people who are dying. And, you
0: know, know, in in many ways, you know, he he talks about um, the, the, you know, the four things you say uh, to someone, you know, which are thank you, I love you, forgive me, I forgive you. Um, And... You know, in some ways, I think that what happens in the in the StoryCorps booth, um, and and that's something that he talks about as as having being a conversation people want to have before you know before before you die. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in some ways, I think what's happening in StoryCorps is that you have the opportunity to have that conversation. You know, now. I mean, we're all dying i guess um right, right. but uh, but but and and i think there's a barrier to coming into the StoryCorps booth because of that and when we opened StoryCorps, you know it was hard we now we have like lines to to get in but it was very hard to convince people to come in um, and and uh i think it's it was and and still is partly um, because it it does kind of remind us of of our our mortality and people are aware that this CD is going to be what their great, great grandkids are going to listen to to, to get to know them.
1: I, I, I think about, um, you know, I don't know if you experienced this too. I, I, I said this a minute ago a little bit, but I'll, you know, I'll say it again. I feel like there's this, it's kind of like we're remembering that we're listening creatures. But the way we set up our culture in the last period, you know, it doesn't actually make space um you know that listening is kind of an everyday art and it and it's a social technology um uh but we have to we almost have to put lofty language around it like that <laughs> to to, right. to you know you have to create a, a, you have to create story core right you know i'm i do not know i'm kind of i'm not really asking a question i'm no, just thinking about no but i mean, I, mean I,
0: I i i don't know it's it makes me think um of um yeah, I, I you, know, you you know, all of us are capable of this. I mean, that's yeah. part of what I, I had thought that with StoryCorps, I had wondered whether you know people on the on the interviewing side were going to be able to do it, and everybody is able to 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 do it, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of unlikely that you know StoryCorps was invented this was created the same year as Facebook, you know, and in some <laughs> ways it's, okay. y- and I, I do you know think that. There, there's something I, – I can't put my finger on it. We've kind of been talking about this earlier. But there's something about the story core – I think listening to these stories or participating that – I don't know. It brings you in <laughs> – and and it's not an observing thing; it's like a a deep kind of connection thing. And and I find sometimes with some of the technology stuff. And I'm, you know, thank God for technology. StoryCorps couldn't happen without it. But I, there's like a remove and an observing thing as opposed to a connecting thing. And listening is, you know, listening carefully. And and you know, people will ask, how do you? Especially when I used to do documentaries, how do you get people to, you know, to open up? Whether I was in prisons or whatever, and it, I'd say just be genuinely curious don't be a jerk um and uh you know and just really listen closely to someone and and you know remarkable things are going to happen i was talking yeah. to there's a great writer uh alex kotlowitz who i was talking to recently and we were talking about we're doing stuff with post 9/11 veterans and we're talking about this kind of experience of um when you're when you're talking to folks who have served and folks in in all circumstances you know someone will tell this amazing story and then you know you say um Have you ever told that story before? Answer is no. And then, you know, why not? Well, no one's ever asked. And, you know, if I had a penny for every time I've kind of heard that line of conversation, StoryCorps would, you know, have its financial future locked down for (laughs) decades to come.
1: Is there um, there an opening question? Doesn't StoryCorps have a a list of suggested questions or is there a
0: a way to begin? Popular yeah. questions, yeah, and uh, then we have like many, many others that people can choose from depending on who they're interviewing, and also you know fill in the blanks that people can ask, um, and uh, you know the ten most popular questions are the you know big life questions uh, that we talked about before. You know how do you, how do you want to be remembered and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, um, but um, you know I think that what the the the, the they the the people start by identifying themselves, but the kickoff question is is different in every interview, and okay. it's really you know what it is that 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 folks want to ask. Although the the kickoff question, as I said, because the facilitators will say, jump right in with that you know the question you've always wanted to the thing you've always wanted to hear from 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 this person. And and again, it goes back to this idea that the microphone um, gives you the license to have these conversations that you don't normally get to have.
1: Yeah, um, and so also as you say that, with
0: difficult questions. That you have yeah. people
1: together who already have an intimate bond and right, it, so they they don't have to they don't have to get there. So they can That's right. you can really plunge into those questions. I That's mean right. uh, can I ask you when you interviewed your father what sure. questions you brought into that? The things you um, wanted to yeah, ask? Yeah, no. I
0: mean, I think I think I, I I spent a lot of time. He I spent a lot a lot of time talking about his childhood because mm-hmm. um, uh, that was something that he told us about a lot when when he was when we were growing up. Um, and I wanted to find out some stuff about who his you know parents were and try and you know get that down. Um, and then and then you know some of the some of the you know bigger questions like the the how do you want to be remembered sort of questions mm-hmm. as well.
1: Um, I, uh, you know, people ask me why I always start with this, uh, some version of the question about the spiritual or, or religious background right. of someone's childhood.
0: It's funny. I never, I listened to the show and I never, I never realized that.
1: I yeah. Guess you well, do. you don't always hear you it because- it on
0: every show? Well, we have, no.
1: you know, you know what? Interestingly, um, interestingly, this is one of the things in the beginning I- it didn't feel like n p r to me do you know mm-hmm. <laughs> right, so we used to edit we used to edit it you you used to not hear it. it was always in there, but right. you, you didn't necessarily hear it and now more and more as we actually grow older and I think more sophisticated, we almost always put that question and answer in huh. and the thing is um It is partly true – it is absolutely true that everyone has an interesting story to tell about. Everybody has an interesting story in response to that question. Even a cradle atheist, right, has a great story to tell about the spiritual background of their childhood. But the real reason for me that the question is essential is in where it plants people in themselves. That's right. Yep. And so I don't have that shared experience with somebody I'm talking to, but it it opens them up in a place that's softer and more searching – and then it makes other things possible later,
0: yeah, I mean, I think people have their um their set pieces, and i, yeah, I right. probably no one has ever been asked before about their you know religious background growing up, so immediately you're throwing them out of that uh whatever it is, like the the, the skip on the record player that they're used to telling the same stories yeah. over and over
1: again, so Dave, you know, I just want to say to you, since here we are um in this conversation that. You know, I you, pro, you you may or may not remember this, but you came to um, American Public Media when I was just starting my show, you know, in 2003. And uh, I don't even think it was a weekly show yet, and I know you'd never heard of me, and, and I asked to see you, <laughs> I asked to meet you, because you were in the building, and you so generously agreed, and you had no idea who I was or what my – work was but I you know I think I told you that I felt like um you were a role model that you know that your approach to listening was so kindred to me and um I just want to say you know it just occurred to me as I was getting ready to talk to you and I'm reading about you know that you you actually listened to me at a moment when um I say most of the people in our industry uh were just not ready um or interested in and you know and also what I was doing wasn't good yet you know I, I had a I had to learn what I was doing. Um, so I just, I want to thank you for that, actually. Well,
0: thank you. I mean, that's one of the things about a StoryCorps interview, which is, yeah. I I love, um, is that often at the end of the interviews, the person doing the, um, asking the questions, we we suggest they want, might want to turn the tables and thank the person that they're interviewing for, you know, the influence they've had on their lives. So that means a lot. I mean, I, I told you before we turned on the... Um, the, the tape that, uh, you know, On Being and, and, you know, Speaking of Faith before that have had a profound influence on on helping me articulate and understand what we're trying to do with StoryCorps. And I have, I carry with me, as I said, a sheet um, where I'll have to, you know, sometimes, you know, we live, what we're doing is a little bit out of sync with the um, pop culture, right? Yeah. And it's easy to get kind of psyched out and say like what are we doing? <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? And um and I I often, you know, I read quotes of people from your show um and I carry them with me, you know, everywhere. You know, I have other quotes as well, but the majority of them are things that I heard on your show and I read them just <laughs> to kind of remind me, you know, what it is that we're doing and kind of keep me just pushing forward every day and and you know, trying to do this 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 thing.
1: But you, you know, I think that out-of-syncness feels important to me to, to dwell with. I mean, just a minute ago, you, I love this, that StoryCorps started the same year as Facebook. And, right. And I also think that when I talk about how there's kind of a cultural awakening in this sphere, you know, it, there's also the phenomenon. There are a lot of related phenomena, although many of them are quite different. I mean, Facebook is related in a way. You know, we are reaching out to each other. Um, you know, TED Talks, right? Um yeah. and, but um, as you said a minute ago, those things, um, and I think they're you know they're the, the growth of those things is spurred by some of the same impulses that we are actually of interest to each other. Um, but those things don't require the commitment. I mean, you know, you've, you've you've talked about poetry a minute ago. You've you've said before that you know what I'm looking for is poetry on the margins, um, and you know. Poetry hurts a little bit going in. Marie Howe, the poet, said that to me. It's like something we crave, and yet we have to kind of steel ourselves to take it in. Right. And so, and, and I think, you know, wonderful things have always happened on the margins in human history. So I, did, I just think I are just kind of naming the fact that this listening listening is an act of love. It's is so, so much uncool. more than being quiet <laughs> while the other person speaks.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, it's true and and it is it is out of sync you know i was you know when i i was i have i'm just looking at uh uh you had i think it might have been a couple of weeks ago um uh walter uh, brugemann yes. who said uh our our culture is organized against history there's a depreciation of memory and a ridicule of hope yeah and um you know when you talk about the criticisms of 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 StoryCorps, and i don't get too many of them mm-hmm. um but you know I, again I, I i feel like you know, it's a little out of step with the culture, but, yeah. you know, listening to this show, you know, listening to the show every week and these people who have such kind of wisdom and are, and for me, are talking about a lot of the things we're trying to do with StoryCorps that I'm not nearly smart enough to articulate, you know, lets me know, like this, this is, this is what we should be doing. We just got to keep going, keep going. And I, I'm sure you've had that feeling as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I wondered if you've ever heard this quote of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you know who he is? Who's a mid? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, the German. He was a German theologian. Yeah. He died mm-hmm. um, in a Nazi prison. Have you ever heard him on listening from his book Life Together?
0: No, but I'm going to have to write this down. Anyway. Oh well, the I'll, yeah, and I'll with. I
1: can I, I can send it to you. But I <laughs> I love I love 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 this quote. It's like one of my favorite. It's my favorite words in the annals of theology on listening, and and then I just thought how excited how fun it would be to read it to you. So I'm just going to read you parts of it. It's kind of a long section, but some of my favorite lines. Um, and Bonhoeffer thought so hard and deeply about, you know this was his book, Life Together, about Christian Community, about human community. So he says, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God, love of God begins with listening to his word. So the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word but also lends us his ear. He says Christians especially ministers so often think they must think they must always contribute something when they <clears throat> that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. <laughs> Isn't that great stuff? It's
0: beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You know, that first um the first time we met, and I do remember that, um, you um told me, you said, I think you should read, and I, I guess I might have just been starting to create StoryCorps, you said you should read Parker Palmer.
1: Yes, quicker author, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, which I did. And that was a, that was an a, an, an influence as well. You know, I, I think of, um, there's that um, quote, uh, that I, and again, I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or not, but there's the story about um, Dan Rather uh interviewing Mother Teresa and he asked her what she said during her prayers and she said I listen um, oh, and uh, oh. rather then said uh, well then what does God say to you and she said he listens
1: really I'm so glad you told me that I've never heard that before there's and that a, so t- one
0: quote one quote I can give back to you yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and that title of Parker Palmer's book that's a little book Let Your Life Speak yep also you know could be a it could be a like a mission statement for you or me in a way. I mean, yeah. to, that we let live speak. Um
0: Absolutely. And and I do have to say, I mean, turning I I don't know if this will make it on the radio, but you're um you know, I, I, honestly listening to your show has given me great uh, comfort and um and really has help me um push this thing forward cuz you know this is you know this a, a, as as any good good work is difficult always and mm. this has been the most difficult thing i've ever done mm. and um and just hearing through the voices of the people that you've had on this show week after week to me they just keep they say to me like you're doing the right thing you're doing the right thing you 're doing, right doing the right thing, so I owe you a huge huge, huge debt of gratitude for that and i'm i'm i 'm just incredibly grateful and i'm also just honored to be on the show and feel like completely out of my league but thank <laughs> I you. know
1: but you 're just wrong I'm sorry. <laughs> just, I know you do, and that's partly why you're so good at what you do let me just just one just kind of last question um uh, well and and I'm out of my yeah.
0: league because I mean the people that you know the people that you have on. On on this show are you know the f- philosophers and these great thinkers and these wise people and you know all I'm doing is acting as a vehicle through which other people's wisdom can get out there. So you know I have a good you know I have a the simple idea that works really well and then you know again just try and try and help other people's voices get heard. Um, but I really am grateful that you um, that you thought I had something to say.
1: Oh well, you I mean I, I guess. I guess I think that the the things that seem so obvious to us, you know, though are not obvious to others, right? I'm not sure that anybody who's really wise understands um, the imprint, you know, how, how special their wisdom is. And you really do have incredible wisdom about the act of listening and the form of listening. You know, I mean, to say that StoryCorps or that, you know, that this work of listening is is about every life mattering.
0: Well, that's it. That's it's what StoryCorps is all about. right? Yep.
1: But it's just not – you know. and I know it's obvious to you, and I know you're living it. It's just not actually a sentence that um, – and it, when you say it, I think everybody who's listening is, like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it makes sense. It's something we may know, but we don't know how to articulate yep. um, or, or Well, that's live. it.
0: That's StoryCorps in a, in a nutshell. Every life matters. Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that other than interviewing uh, people – I can be a really terrible listener.
1: <laughs> really,
0: I mean the worst.
1: Okay, I am this is impatient. this is the confessional aspect of our story, <laughs> yeah. core, of our our booth experience here. Yeah,
0: I am just a terrible listener. Are you really? But yes, would your children but, you know, say that? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but my wife would, <laughs> and the people who who I you know at times I can be a great listener. But you know it takes none of us. You know it takes a lot of it takes a lot of focus and energy and all. You know all of us. You know have our moments. You know and I don't. I'm impatient. You know, but again, what 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 StoryCorps does is it forces you back into this space where you're this, you know, you're you 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 can kind of find your you know highest self.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's huge. You're right. It, it, it's it's a good place to kind of to close. I mean that, and this is probably why it's another very simple reason that listening is not something that we do all the time. It's work. It's 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 a commitment. Um and I you know and I but again I you know to all the people out there who I run into who say you know we want to make room for listening it, you know it's it's something yeah. we have to start practicing more right yep. it's just something you and have you, to, and
0: it's something you never you just never regret
1: you never regret you know it's like you know yeah. all
0: this it's um you know when you're talking about this kind of social media stuff and you know I I it's it's like it's nourishing as opposed to being depleting and I find that there's so much you know, out there that we're all addicted to in the in you know the kind of content and other stuff that we you know encounter, or many of us are addicted to. I, the, there are some lucky people who aren't, but all that stuff just just you know it, there's some. It feels like it chips away at you a little bit, you know. And what I hope happens with with StoryCorps, and certainly happens with your show, is that you know that it's additive as opposed to you know kind of taking something away that it nourishes who
1: you are. Mm-hmm. Well. Right. And in a way, by creating structures, you know, creating a booth or creating a project or whatever else other people can create, you know, where they live, you you kind of – you send some courage out, right, for people to walk into that that experience that they may want but that requires something of us.
0: No, and it does take courage, you know, yeah. and I and you know, I know we're going on and on and past past time and you have things to do, but you know, it makes me think about, you know, when when we have booths in um cities, um you know, we they're always full, but there aren't, you know, huge waiting lists and when we have a like a mobile booth that pulls into a town, we can have hundreds and hundreds maybe more people on a waiting list 2 minutes after six 2 seconds after reservations open and i think that's because people know that this booth is only there for 6 weeks and they got to get in um mm. and mm. Uh, and that mm. kind of creates this kind of tension uh, as opposed to when something's kind of in your town and it's very easy to say because you're dealing with hard stuff and you're dealing with mortality and you're dealing with connection it's easy to say i can do it next week i can do it next week mm. i can do it next week you mm. know so that's something that that's something that we see mm.
1: Well, Dave, you say that your gift is collecting other people's deep thoughts, and that's certainly true but you um you have so many deep thoughts of your own and I'm really grateful to you for sitting down with me and I'm really excited to put this on the air
0: well thank you this was really this was really fun <laughs>
1: okay
0: um, i um i uh you know i t- the in our i i the last book that um that I did uh the the kind of framing of the book was around something and you I don't know you probably picked this up I don't know I don't even know if you remember everything you have on your show but it was somebody quoted um uh mother that mother teresa line the problem uh, yeah. in the world is that we've forgotten that we belong to each other yeah. I stole that from you <laughs> <laughs> and that was the framing of the last book so yeah. it's just it's just really I'm I'm just it's just wonderful to have a time to, to uh, to talk to you and I am I have like a crazy flu but I just shut everything down today so that I could come in and like put all my you know like really focus and and, and be with you and I'm really glad I had the chance to do it so thank yeah. you. Yeah
1: you know I sometimes find I used to find this a lot early on because I would get so intense about um, doing the interview you know I'd get nervous and you know I felt like I had been in control and I found that when I was a little bit sick or a little bit tired I actually did better because I trusted the conversation more.
0: It's interesting yeah right? Yeah, anyway, I wrote you were a note great. to myself. I wrote just just surrender on the top. Good, of the good.
1: Theory, so. <laughs> okay, well, you did. Con- congratulations! I think you <laughs> well, accomplished you. that. So I look forward to when next we meet in person as well. Oh, I think Lily has a question or something. Wait, what?
0: What are we doing? Where are we meeting next week?
1: No, no, no. I mean, next time when we actually cross oh, oh, in me the flesh. Too. Okay. I will. Okay, I will great. enjoy that too. Yeah. Lily, do well, you? Thank have...
0: you. Me too. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a long time.
1: I know. Say Lily, I think has a question for you. Can Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm going to ask those questions. Um, okay, and, I and then just, I
0: and then if you have time, I have three minutes of business to. Oh, good. Talk okay. To about.
1: Um, okay, yeah. And actually, that was kind of. I actually kind of pretty much had those questions written out, and then I just <laughs> I just thought when you said you were a good listener, it was such a better. <laughs> um, so, so the, I mean, the, so are there? Um, I mean, I just think here's the you know here's the way I I, I would ask the question: How does this? Um, well, are there tools? Are there are there things you've learned um, through StoryCorps that that do make you a better <coughs> listener, even though you say you're constitutionally not inclined that way?
0: That make me a better listener, yeah. Or, no, that you, I mean, or things knew. you
1: know, tricks. Like if you ever catch yourself, just being a human being and not the head of StoryCorps. Um,
0: yeah. No, I mean, I think you know you know when you're listening carefully and when you're not. You know, it's that. I mean, we've kind of kind of come back to this. A couple of of times, it's like when you're locked into another human being. Either you're locked in or you're not, you know. And I and you know, being an, I I I was able I was an equally bad listener before starting StoryCorps, but also did you know very very intense interviews with people. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Uh. No. So I haven't that that hasn't that hasn't changed for me. You know, I think that what has changed. Well, there are a couple things. I mean i i i um I think that what I've learned is I knew that being listened to was important to people, but I don't think I understood how important it was mm-hmm. um and how widespread it is that people feel like they're not listened to and never heard and have things that they want to say and and leave behind mm-hmm. um and then you know and StoryCorps has changed, you know, I think StoryCorps itself has made me a much more hopeful person. Um, And, you know, the facilitators who are the ones who are the on the ground, you know, uh, on the ground uh, uh, employees, you know, all come back with these same, you know, lessons that they've learned. And, you know, one of them is that people are are basically good and um we've you know we've done fifty thousand interviews now, and I think maybe after a thousand or two thousand or four thousand, you could say that there was a selective group of people coming to StoryCorps, but at this point, fifty thousand yeah. people a hundred thousand interviews there's gotta be some truth to that, so it's made me it's made me much more hopeful about about people and um and uh you know, and much more committed to the idea that. You know that we we focus so much on the on on what a very 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 few people have to say, um, and that we would be such a mm. better and stronger country if we kind of widen that out and listen to what um, what 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 the rest of us you know have to say and have learned in life.
1: And do you find that um, that the stories you hear as part of being part of StoryCorps that they they kind of work on you, in you, as you then live your life. Yeah. Oh,
0: totally. I mean, I you know I get the question a lot, like how come you don't spend all day crying? You know, <laughs> right. and I and I don't spend all day crying. Uh-huh. Um. I and and you know I see you know I think it's you know we're, I'm not a surgeon, you know, but or a doctor. But, you know, we we everyone at StoryCorps takes this very seriously and we have a job to do. And, you know, it it goes it, it reminds me of hospice stuff again. I mean, I think that the one of the mottos around StoryCorps is that, you know, which is very similar to what folks who are in, you know, in in hospice care say it's that it's not about you. It's not about us. You know, we are a public service organization and we're here to serve other people. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of suck it up, you know. Um, But I've learned a lot of things, I mean, from from listening to these interviews that I carry around with me all the time. I mean, I think of – there's an interview with um, a father who lost two kids on September 11th. Mm. Uh, We did an animation of this also. And he talks about how the last words he said to his kids and the last words he heard were I love you and what kind of comfort that gives him. And you can bet that I I say I love you many times every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that there are very, very simple um, lessons that run through these stories that have completely shaped my life in the way that I live it.
1: Mm, That's wonderful. I don't know about you. Sometimes people ask me – in fact, a lot of people ask me, what's a favorite interview you ever did? And I I – it doesn't yeah. work that way. Like I say, right. I say honestly, the, the, my favorite interview I ever did is usually the last one I did. That's exactly what I say. <laughs> is it? And yeah. I don't actually think people believe me, you know. Or <laughs> yeah. but it is. It's the truth. And it's because you start living with that's the moment that interview enters you, and yep. then it like joins the conversation with everybody else. But it com- becomes part of you in the most profound way. I mean, you know, it's just as profound right now to talk to you as it was to talk to Desmond Tutu. I can't say. That that was my favorite. Yeah. yeah. No,
0: it's like you know, it's like children. You know. Yeah. And and you know, there are some stories that I think resonate with me more than than other stories. But it's it's to pick a, f- a favorite is is just it's just not possible. And you know, different things. You know, the weird thing about story is that you know some stories that I just don't register with me become the most like people will come up and be like oh my god like they'll remember a story from right, seven years right. ago that I don't even remember and say this was like the most right. incredible thing I've ever heard and you know different things kind of
1: and you start to know that you, you start ways. to yeah. know that even if something isn't the thing that's Perfect hitting you, you, you most closely right. you know it's going to be there for other people that's right and that's what the that's meaning right. is
0: yep and that's part of what we try and do with StoryCorps by getting such a wide range yeah. of stories to make sure that you know on the, on the, on the kind of Access to the stories piece that everybody feels like they're you know that they're they can hear a little you know that can can relate to to the stories in one way or another i mean to me storycorps is like it's just like a like a very simple perfect kind of diamond that it you know both the collecting of the stories and the broadcast of the stories that it all kind of works in this very simple um way and I, I know you feel this way it's just such a to be able to get up in the morning and know that you know everything that you're doing that day is gonna make you know, people's lives a little bit better is just an incredible feeling to, to, to look in the mirror and be able to get up no matter how difficult, you know, whatever it is you have to do where you have to run around to that day. It's just a, a really remarkable feeling. And I'm inc- so, you know, grateful to have, you know, to have found my thing at such a, yeah. a young age. It's yeah. an incredible blessing.